Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. You thought it would, but that doesn't mean that God's not doing a good thing in it. And He can take anything and turn it for good. I know this year isn't looking like I thought it would. The church isn't, as a whole, isn't looking like I thought it would. And I would wager that there's not a person in this room who the way that life is playing out right now, whether it's related to what's going on in the world or not, or just what's going on in your individual life, it's not what you thought it was going to be like. It's not what you expected. But regardless of why we got here or how we got here, it's where we find ourselves. And we find our country and our world in a place of division, in a place of fear, in in a place of isolation. And we find ourselves in a place where the enemy is telling lies, abounding lies that are straight from the pit of hell. And I want to talk about just a couple of these because there's way too many to address them all. But the first one which is our primary focus, is whether as individuals or as the church, uh, the lie that he's been telling us is as individuals or as the church, our primary focus is to stay safe. Jesus did not call the church or us to stay safe. The Father didn't send Jesus to the earth to stay safe. He sent him to the earth to make a way. To prepare a way for us to be able to come to him. And the way was through a cross. And the cross wasn't safe. And he called us to to be with him. To go with him where he calls us to go. Even into battle. And battles aren't safe. And he's calling us to do what he wants us to do. And to walk in every way that he calls us to. Whether it's safe or not. And I love how C.S. Lewis In the books, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, he refers to a character named Aslan. And Aslan is a personification of God himself in this series. There's uh, many theological truths found in that series if you've never read it before. But this this excerpt that I'm going to read is when one of the characters finds out that Aslan is a lion. And it's a beaver (laughs) that's talking uh, to this to this young girl named Susan. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And here's the beaver's response. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That's who we serve. We serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's not safe, but he's good. And we can trust him, and we can trust that he's seated on the throne today and every day before and every day ahead of us. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he calls us to him and he sent his son into an unsafe world to make a way for us that we might be able to come to him. And Jesus said through him, there's one way to the father through Jesus Christ. He made a way that we might be able to go to the father. 
Our Heavenly Father is good. He's the King. But nobody ever said anything about safe. We're going to follow Him wherever and however He leads. And safe doesn't come into play. It's a lie from the pit of hell, like I said. And we cannot believe it if we're going to follow our Father where He leads us. The other lie that I want to touch on, and and like I said, there's more than two. But this one is that there are essential and non-essential people. They may, be, they may be saying essential and non-essential employees, but if you aren't an essential employee, then I guarantee you are feeling like you are being told you're not essential. According to cities and states and governments around the world, they're deciding who is and who is not an essential human being. It's a lie from the pit of hell. If pressed, I'm sure they would say that's not what they mean. But that's the message that's being spread and the message that's being received by so many. I went to Athens this week to meet with some other senior pastors. And on the way back, I was listening to the radio and it said that the calls to suicide hotlines are up 1,000%. That's not be, that's not the suicide rate, but the calls to the hotlines are up 1,000%. That's coming from people who are isolated, alone, and are feeling like, I'm not essential. I don't matter. My life doesn't matter. And depending on what state you live in determines whether or not the church has been deemed essential or non-essential. And I want to tell you, that's a lie from Satan as well. No state, no government, no person, not Satan himself, has the power to declare the church non-essential. God has called the church, he has called you, and every single one of you, and every single person listening, and any person, whether they're listening or not, is essential in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus loved us so much that he came to this unsafe world. His father loved us so much that he would send his son into this unsafe world to die for us, to make a way for us, because he knows and thinks that you're essential. You matter, you count, your life counts, everything that God has planned for you matters, and he's calling you, individually you, to come to him into a relationship with him. This week in that meeting, one of the, there was about eight pastors there, and one of the pastors joined remotely from Chicago. He's a senior pastor in Chicago, Illinois, and they have been told right now that their state's five-phase plan Uh, which is going to take over a year to accomplish, that church is in the last of phase five. That they can't meet again for potentially up to a year. And obviously they're not receiving that. They're talking about what they can do in the midst of this. But that is a government telling the church you're non-essential. And like I said, I thank God that we are in a state that has a Christian leader like Governor Abbott, and he's saying we're essential. But like I said, it doesn't matter what our government says. It doesn't matter what our governor or president says. The church is essential because God says it's essential. We're going to read a passage in a moment from Paul. He was writing, and he was writing from prison because the government said the message he was preaching was not essential. Not only was it not essential, it needed to be stopped. But that didn't stop him. He continued to preach and continue to do what God called him to do. And that's what we're called to do, to hear the word of God, to know God for ourselves, and to respond when he calls us. I want to 
tell you that the church is the body of Christ and God has declared we're not going anywhere. The Bible, uh, Jesus, or the Father has told us from the very beginning, even before the very beginning, he had a plan for us. And it takes us all the way to the end. And we don't go anywhere. We rise victorious. God finishes everything that he says he's going to finish. Not word, not one drop of his promise goes undone because he's seated on his throne and he's still the king of kings and lord of lords. In Matthew chapter 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I I know you've probably heard of this before, but it's worth repeating is that gates don't move. Gates are attacked. Jesus said, I am going to build my church and they are going to attack the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail. And he says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You are essential in the kingdom of heaven. God has called you by name. He is calling you into a relationship with him. He is calling you to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether or not we have permission, whether we get imprisoned or not, whether it's safe or not, we have to lay down our expectations of what the church looks like or what we think it's supposed to look like. And we have to let God lead us and be open to his revelation of whatever that may be. And we also have to lay down the past. And that's the thing uh, that we're going to look at right now is that we have to forget the past. And look forward to what God has for us today and where he's leading us. We have to forget the good old days. The truth is there was no good old days. They were just different days. And God was doing something then and he's doing something now. And he's going to be doing something tomorrow. And he's calling us to live today. Where we are today, not where we were a decade ago or 50 years ago or some dream that we think the past was. And I want to show you in Exodus where uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt. God delivered the children of Israel from slavery. And we just sang a moment ago how great freedom is and that Jesus Christ came to set us free. But in his word, we see how they were taken from slavery to freedom. And immediately they're looking at the good old days of slavery. And what I want us to see in this is how messed up our perspective can be. We can't trust our own mind. We can't trust our own feelings. We also sang that song about it doesn't matter if I see it. It doesn't matter if I feel it. God, you are at work. And he is at work today in every circumstance, in every situation. You can know that he's at work and it's a good work. And it's as good today as it was yesterday and it will be tomorrow. But we have to trust him and have faith in that. So look with me at, uh, before we get there, at Jeremiah 29, 11. Jesus, or this is a prophetic word. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And this is a wonderful verse. Some of y'all might have this on a little frame on your wall. But I guarantee nobody has verse 10 up on their wall. And it's all about context. We see these scriptures, and this is truth. This is truth. It was true when he spoke it, and it's true today that he does have plans for us, good plans. 
But we can't look at verses like that by itself. We have to take it in context. And in verse 10 it says, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So God, and then he says, For I know the plans that I have for you and what your future is. So God was saying, You're about to live seventy years in uh, captivity under Babylon. You're going to be slaves again. Because you walked away from me. And he said, but it's okay. I have a future and a hope for you. But they had to walk through 70 years of captivity first. Then in verse 12, it says, then you will call upon me. After 70 years of captivity, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile So just because something is new, again, doesn't, the captivity in Babylon was new, but it wasn't what they expected or everything that we think it's going to look like. But God is at work. Even in those years of captivity, he was at work. And God has been speaking to the church for many years. He's going to do something new. Well, this isn't what we expected. This isn't the way we thought he was going to take us there. But I think that we can uh, find ourselves right now in the same place that the Israelites were and when they he had taken them out of slavery into their freedom and right off the gate right off the bat they say god we think you took a wrong turn this can't be where you are taking us to this can't be the way this can't be the path to freedom that we were longing for and read along with me in exodus 16 2 3 It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wow. He just took them out of slavery. He just took them through the Red Sea, parted the waters, uh, defeated the entire army of Egypt. And on the other side, they said, oh, if we could have only died in Egypt when we had all the bread and meat that we could eat. It was so much better there than this place you brought us. God was doing a work then. He delivered them from the hand of their enemies, from slavery into freedom. He has done the same work for us. He sent Jesus Christ to set us free. And how often do we look back and say, oh, remember the good old days. What it was like before I had to follow God. Before I listened to his word and where he wanted to take me to an unsafe place. Because it's hard. And we know that he not only made a way out of the waters, but that he gave them bread from heaven. He sent birds from heaven. He made water come forth from rock, just like this verse that says, I'm going to take you and make streams in the desert. He did all of those things, and he was going to make every provision that they needed. That in that moment, because of their perspective, they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. They lost all their hope because they took their eyes off of God. And today, we find ourselves in a place that... It's not what we expected. 
And we're looking around at all the circumstances and saying, God, where are you in this? Where did you make the wrong turn? Can we go back to where we were? And God says, yesterday is gone. It's gone. It's not going to come back. It's never going to be that way again. You're not going to get to go back. I love you too much to let you go back. We're in today and you're with me and we're going to go to the future together. And that's what he's calling us to this morning is to know him, to hear him and respond to him. But it has to be on an individual basis. And that's the thing that in this time, and before we get into that, let me share one other thing. So uh, I want to encourage you to forget the past. Forget the good old days that never were. And in both the Old Testament and New Testament, we find this admonishment. In Isaiah 43:18 and 19, it says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, and this is, that's the verse before the see I'm doing a new thing. Before he says I'm going to do a new thing, he says, Forget the past. Do not dwell on the past. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The message translation says, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. And finally, the Passion translation says, stop dwelling on the past. Don't even remember the former things. I am doing something brand new, something unheard of. Even now it sprouts and grows and matures. Don't you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and open up a flowing stream in the desert. He has a plan. He's doing a new thing and it's good and there's life and there's power in it. Forget the past. He's doing something new. And he tells us the same thing through Paul in the New Testament. And this is the scripture I referred to earlier, the verse that was written and penned in prison. Paul says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He has called us to a new thing. He has given us a a commandment. Jesus said, go, go into all the world, sharing the gospel And the truth is, and I was sharing this with Pastor Daryl this morning, the new thing really isn't a new thing. It's going back to the first thing. Discipleship is a one-on-one relationship. We can't have a relationship with a group of people. None of us can. We can only have a relationship with one person at a time. I want to give you an example of this. I could say that I have a good relationship with my family. That would be a lie. I can't have a good relationship with my family. I can only have a good relationship with one individual at a time. I have to work on my relationship with Candy as my wife. I have to have an individual relationship with Abby and an individual relationship with Allison. I have to have a one-on-one relationship with my mother and with my father and with my grandmother's. 
and with my cousins and with my nephews and nieces and my brother and sister and sister, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And the truth is, I don't have a good relationship with most of them. Not because we are mad at each other or there's anything wrong or some horrible family past, just because we don't stay connected, we don't talk, we have no relationship. I know who they are and they know who I am, but there's no relationship. God has called us to minister to one another, to be brothers and sisters to one another in the kingdom of God, and we can only do that one relationship at a time. I was, had read a book uh, about a year or so ago by Francis Chan, and he was talking, and this is where this revelation kind of, uh, where God started revealing this, and we've actually been talking about it for a long time among the elders, and I've said multiple times that even a small group is too big, and it's not that small groups are going to go away, and it's not that this goes away. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they met in the temple, and they met house to house. It's a both and. It was never supposed to exclude one or the other. But somehow the church got away from one-on-one relationships and thought one big meeting is going to take the place from individual relationships. And it just can't happen. We are going to continue to come together. But one of the things that this showed and and what I was referencing in that book uh, that Francis Chan wrote about the letters to the church, he wrote this book on how the, the small church, small groups, he kind of saw as the way in the future. But that's where I was also looking at, at that, thinking, that's still too big. If we're going to disciple one another, if we're going to work with one another in relationships with Christ, it has to be one-on-one. And as we've walked through this time, God made it so clear. There's states in our country, in the United States of America, where we're free, that in this time, a gathering of more than one of not your family was forbidden. No one could come out into your house if they did not live in that household. So forget a small group church of ten in your home. In one day, the government could say, that's outlawed. You can't do that anymore. And another thing that has just blown my mind in this process is I always thought, you know, we have this mentality here. You know, that could never happen here All it takes is five minutes of looking on Facebook and you'll find countless people who are ready to turn in their neighbor to the police. They'll they'll turn you in in a second for having an extra person at your house that doesn't belong there. We're one step away. But that doesn't matter because God is on the throne and you are essential and the church is essential and no government No, people, not Satan himself, can change that. But we as the body of Christ individually have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to know the Word. We have to know our Savior. We have to have a relationship with Him. It can't be, kids, your mother's relationship with God. It can't be your father's relationship with God. You have to have a relationship with him. You have to know what you believe and why you believe it. And you have to be prepared to share that with one friend, with your child when you have one, with your husband, with your wife, with your coworker. There's a a story in the Bible that I shared of Jesus when he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. And it says that he, uh, that man had been there his whole life waiting by the pool to be healed, but he could never get in. And Jesus heals him that day, but the the story only says he healed that one man today. 
but it also said he'd been there for many years. Jesus had walked by that place many, many times before. And the word tells us that Jesus did everything he saw the Father doing, and he said everything that the Father said. He had a relationship with the Father. It said he would go away regularly by himself to go to the Father to find out what the Father's will was, what he had for his life, what he had planned for that day. Jesus would have literally stepped over people and around people who needed to be healed that day, and he didn't heal them. He healed the one man because that's what the Father was doing. That's what the Father was saying. And that's the kind of relationship that he was giving us an example to live that he says, you have to have a relationship with the Father, and I'm going to make the way. I'm going to lay down my life so that you can have a relationship with my Father. We all have that opportunity, but each one of us has to have that relationship on our own. That's what we're called to as the body of Christ. And together, each one of us following him, hearing his voice, knowing him and responding to him, work together as a body to accomplish the will of God. It's beyond our comprehension what God is doing throughout the earth. We couldn't understand it if he tried to explain it to us. But he's at work And it's a good work and it's a new thing and it's something that he has planned and he planned it before the foundation of the world and we get to walk through it with him. And that's what he's calling us to is an individual relationship with him. And guess what? It's a scary place and it's not safe. And there's going to be days that you're going to think you're going to starve, that you brought me to this place to die And God says, no, I didn't bring you here to die. I brought you here to make a way. And that's the place that we can live in an exciting place, in an unbelievable place, in a place where we get to see the power of God and get to see things that only God could do. But we have to trust him and come before him and have a relationship with him. And when he calls us to talk to one person at the grocery store, step out in faith because that's a relationship that you can have. One person at one time. When he gives you a word for your spouse, but it's a hard thing and you don't want to share it because you think it might get you into a fight, share it. Because it's one relationship with one person at one time. And he will be in that. In the lives of our children, One relationship at a time. I can't, I only have two. Many of y'all have a lot more than two. But even with two, I can't have a simultaneous relationship with those two. I have to have a relationship with each one. And that's what he's calling us to with him and with everybody else. And we're going to look at that more next week as we look at this ministry of one. Will you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Lord, I thank you for these seniors that are with us today. Lord, we pray, just like Pastor Darrell said, blessing upon them, that you are going to be with them. You are going to lead them and guide them all their days. Lord, but I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to them right now, that they would know that their life is not going to be what they expect. It's going to be so much better. 
You have so much planned for them, so much intended for them, Father. And my prayer is that they will seek you all the days of their life, that they will follow you, whether it's safe or not, whether it's scary or not, but they will hear your voice and they will respond, Lord. Father, I pray the same for each and every one of us, Lord. Our heart is to come to you, to come before you, to your throne room, the place that Jesus made a way that we might come, Lord, and we come to you and we give you honor and glory and praise because only you are worthy, God. And you are going to do everything that you have declared. Not one word, not one promise will fail. We give you all glory and praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message.